not on purpose necessarily. I've never really spoken on this since we've been here at Church on a Rock, and, and it's something that I really feel like uh, here the past month or so as I was kind of praying on direction, I really feel like God was wanting me to go. And, and I want to talk to you over the next several weeks, several weeks about the armor of God. And so the title of my message today to you is called Truth or Snare. No, it's not dare. It's truth or snare. How would you feel if you found out that there was a network, a network of people living in your city that had banded together to do the best they could to make your life miserable? How would you feel if you found out that there were groups of people that were joining together, that lived in your city, they were joining together, they were creating a network, they were coming together? How would you feel if you found out that there were people coming together only for the explicit purpose of making your life miserable? How would that make you feel? Well, you would probably be pretty upset about that. You'd probably get worked up. You might be stressing. You might be offended. Who knows really what might be going through your mind. But these people who joined together, they were constantly working to make, make you sick. They were just constantly working to try to make you sick. Or they were constantly working to mess up your finances. Whatever way, whatever schemes, whatever they could do, they were constantly working together to try to mess up your financial situation. They were constantly sowing seeds of, of discord in your marriage so that there were problems and difficulties. They were, they were figuring out ways of, 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 of lies that they could be, be told or, or of things that could be said or things that could be done to, to create problems and discord inside of your relationship. They, were, they had this, how would you feel if you found out that this group of people had done so much that they had even tracked you from birth. That from the moment that you were born, that they had tracked you. And that they had followed every detail and every moment of your life. And that they had created difficulty. And that they had interfered with parts of your life. That somehow that they managed to create the darkest moments of your life. You found out that these people were following you all the time. Creating the darkest moments of your life. How would you feel about that? How would you feel... What would you feel like if you found out that they were able to destroy your self-talk? What if you found out that they, were, they had the ability to even destroy the way that you thought about yourself, the way that you thought about your life and the things that you do and who you are? What if you found out that they had lied to you about people in your life that it could have been a great blessing to you? But because of those lies, it created distrust in you for those people in your life. What if you found out that these people came into your life and, and, and they tried to get in the way of you being in relationship with somebody that could have been a great mentor, a great leader, a great encourager to you. Somebody that could have sent you down a different path, but because of these lies that they spread and, and told you, because of the discord they created inside of you, all of a sudden, you're not, you're not with those people anymore. What if you found out that they, they were the influence, these people were the influence and the reason why you hung out with people that were bad, that had a, a negative influence on you, that created uh, the, 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 this desire to want to hang out with people that were negative and always doing the wrong thing. What if you found out 
that there were people in, in this city right now that were doing all of these things to you. How would that make you feel? Well, let me be honest. I'm going to be honest with you. There is a network that is in this city, that is in this town, that is trying to do all of those things and has done all of those things to you. Listen here in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. Finally, Paul is wrapping up his message to the church in Ephesus, and he's wanting to throw in one last punch to help them understand things. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Listen, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Paul emphasizes to the church in Ephesus this high stakes spiritual war that all of us are in. High stakes spiritual war that we're all right in the middle of. I don't know if you caught this, but it actually said the word, Paul says the word against six times. Six times. That we are against heavenly forces, that we are against principalities, that we are against dominions. Six times the Apostle Paul says the word against. Now, any, if you do any you know, significant, in-depth study about the word of God, you will find that there's great significance even in numbers. Why things are said the way they're said and when they're able to say them. You've got to understand that even if Paul, the Apostle Paul didn't understand why he was saying he was being inspired by the Holy Spirit to say the things that he said. And the, the number six is a, is a number all throughout Scripture that represents man. The number six is a number that represents man, right? The number 666 represents man's rebellion against the Trinity. It's, the, it's the, the three sixes that join together that says that man is the Godhead, that man is everything, that man has everything, that man can do everything on his own. It is that kind of attitude. And we see here that this word against here is mentioned six times, and six is tied to the number of man meaning that man is responsible for resisting the devil. You are responsible, okay, for resisting the devil, for coming against these spiritual powers and principles in heavenly places. You have the responsibility. You have it. And we see this all throughout Scripture. Even in James, it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. James tells us that we have the responsibility to resist the devil. And sometimes what happens is, is we get in spiritual warfare and then we want to pray and we want to say, God, do something for me. And God is saying, resist the devil. You resist him. You fight the battle against these spiritual forces in heavenly places. We see this many times throughout Scripture, even at times where um, 
There's an example of Moses when when Moses was trapped against the Red Sea and the enemy was coming against him. And he says, God, where are you and why aren't you doing anything? And God says to him, why are you praying to me? Why are you praying to me? Why? Because God gave Moses all the authority that he needed. He gave him that staff. And within that staff was a representation of the authority that he had when God raised him up to be a shepherd. And he said, I've given you everything you need to come against and to find a way out from the trap of the enemy. He said, so take your stick and put it in the water. And God didn't divide the water until Moses did something. Because God had given him the ability and the authority to do something about it. And so we have the ability to resist the devil. We have it. Right? And so then he goes on talking about the the armor of God. He says, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with the belt with the truth. And having put on a breastplate of righteousness. And having shod your feet with a preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, which will, you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. So here we see here that the first, the first piece of armor that Paul tells us to put on is the girdle of truth. The girdle of truth. It is the least noticeable part of the armor of God. When Paul is referring to the armor of God, he's using a Roman soldier. He's using a Roman soldier and what they used to wear as a Roman soldier to illustrate this armor that God is telling us to put on. And so the first one here that he mentions is the least noticeable part of all the armor of God, and it's called the girdle of truth. I actually have a picture of it if we want to put it up there. The girdle of truth. It would go around the waist, and, and it was something that, would, uh, that, that they would wear, and it was the centerpiece of all the armor of God. On this thing that they had, this, this, um, uh, this girdle, there was a little place on it, like a clip, all right, where they could, it, would, it was there to help them carry their shield in battle. So when they would have, if you've ever seen these shields, these Roman shields, they were almost body-sized shields. It wasn't like Captain America shield, this little bitty, you know, uh, uh, frisbee on their arm. Okay, it was this big thing right here that they were able to stand behind and they could actually create these little these these groupings where they would be in in groups of like five people in these lines of four or five wide. And and they would take these shields and they would put them up high and the people in front and they were able to walk and 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 none of the arrows that were shot at them were, were able to get through because of of the precision behind this. So they had these big shields, but that would create a problem if you had this big heavy shield and battle and you're trying to fight somebody with a sword. So what they did is they had on the belt, they had this little clip where they were able to sink the shield down in so that they were able to be a little bit more mobile and didn't have to worry about the weight of carrying that weight with their arms. And it was able to hold there on this little belt. 
They also had a place, so the, uh, the, this small dagger that they would carry as a, like a small sword. If they ever lost their bigger sword, they would have another weapon to be able to defend themselves with. And it would sit right there on this little belt of truth as well. And also, many, many talk about the fact that on the back of this uh, belt, there was, a, there was another area where they were able to put a spear. If they, if they wanted to carry a spear with them in battle, that they could actually put a spear back there that would link to that belt as well, and they would have that there in battle. It will also the 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 this this girdle of truth was set up where the breastplate could actually be tucked down into it, okay, so that it, the girdle would keep there from being gaps in this particular lower extremity. It would make sure that there weren't gaps that were there. And this right here, the girdle was part of the armor of God that would protect the groin area of the body or the reproductive organs. This is what the the the, the girdle would do. It was there to protect. The reproductive organs. Loins in scripture. When Paul here says, you know, to, uh, to, put, on, to cut, put on this, this, this loin belt, okay? Loins in scripture are always symbolic of reproduction. And your mind reproduce, reproduces in your life the thoughts that are planted in it, okay? Your mind... Okay, reproduce in your life the thoughts that are planted in it. This is the thing that we see. And this is the reason why you have to be careful of what you allow to enter into your mind. You have to be careful about the things that you dwell on. You have to be careful about the things that you think about continually. You have to be careful. And we have been taught to stand against the wiles of the devil. We're supposed to stand against them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. All right. So Paul in Corinthians, again talking about spiritual warfare, he begins to help us understand that our battle that we're talking about, when he's talking about putting on this belt of truth, it's not a real belt. I'm not going to provide you with some kind of belt of truth that you could put on your pants today when you walk out of this place. It's talking about a, a spiritual thing that happens in our spirit, man, that we gird ourselves with this, this, um, this girdle of truth. That the truth is something that we are focused on. And Paul even describes the spiritual battle as something that happens in our minds. That we are taking captive every thought. That we are tearing down every speculation. Thoughts, speculations, all of these things. As a matter of fact, in this scripture right here, Paul shows us a four-step process that Satan use, uses to get into your life and to create havoc. He shows us a four-step process of what Satan does to get into your life to create havoc. The first one is with your thoughts, the things that you think about. Every habit in your life 
began with a thought. Every habit, everything that you have decided to do, everything that you are doing now began with a thought. And this is where the enemy begins his attack. He begins it with the things that you think. As it grows, it begins to contradict something else that you already thought. And then it begins to set itself up against the knowledge of God. The next thing that you do that happens is, is that this thought, this random thought that hits your mind as it begins to grow and you begin to think about it more and you begin to think about it more. And then that thought begins to set itself up against something that God had already built up and planted in your life. Then it becomes an imagination, something that you begin to believe. Then it becomes an action, something that you do. You see, people who get angry don't just get angry one time. They don't just get angry one time. They become angry people all the time. They get angry all the time. They're always angry. People who give in to fear don't just do it one time. It's not just one time I'm going to give in to fear. No, we don't just do it one time. We become paranoid and anxious people because we've allowed fear to overtake our thoughts. People who give in to pessimism or pessimistic thinking don't just do it one time. They become depressed all the time because they've allowed themselves to think about things that aren't God thoughts. It's not just one time. The devil doesn't want these things to happen in your life just one time. He wants to create a habit. He wants to create a stronghold in your life where you begin to live like this. This is what he does. So these things set themselves up inside of us and they become strongholds. And this is the way, and, but, and the Bible tells us that there's a way for us to tear them down. And a way to keep them from setting themselves up. And we have the power to protect our minds, to keep these thoughts from coming into our minds, and to keep them from being planted in our minds, and making sure that they don't come in and bring havoc and destruction in our life as to where God wants to lead us and where God wants to take us. And so we have to protect our minds to keep these words. You see, the, the written word of God, God's word, God's word is the girdle of truth. God's word is the girdle of truth. We guard our minds by putting his word in it. We guard our minds. We guard ourselves. We put on the girdle of truth by knowing God's word. That's how we're able to put on the girdle of truth. It's by understanding the word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Listen, 
did you, did you catch the fact that the Bible says that you cannot be complete without the word of God? You cannot, under any circumstances, ever, ever, ever be a complete Christian without the word of God. If you don't know what's in the word of God, if you don't know what God's word has to say about your life and the things that you do, and I'm not talking about randomly knowing scripture and stories and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about if you don't know the word of God, then the Bible says that you cannot be a complete Christian because you don't know his word. Because it's through his word that develops inside of us, that creates us and makes us into a complete, not lacking anything. It's God's word that does it. It's not going to church. It's not affiliating yourself with Christians. It's not being a part of some kind of ministry. Or any, All of those things are good and all those things you should do. It is the word of God that makes us complete. You see, if you feel like something is missing, then maybe it's because you're not putting the word of God in you. Sometimes we live our Christian life and our our Christian walk and we still feel like something is missing. And the reason why we feel like something is missing is because we're not putting the word of God in. And the problem is, is that when we feel like something is missing, we begin to go searching. And most of the time when we go searching, it doesn't ever end right. It doesn't ever end well. Because we go searching for something else to fill that thing that's missing. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus said, I referenced this earlier today. It says, how can you call me Lord, but you don't do what I say? How can you call me Lord, but you don't do what I say? And how can we do what he says if we don't know what he says? And how are we going to know what he says if we don't know his word? This is what he says. And Jesus says, how in the world are you going to call God God? How are you going to call me Lord if you can't even do what I tell you to do? And the reason why we don't do what he tells us to do is because we don't know his word. And so then we go searching, we go searching for other things, and then it opens up doors in our life and opportunities in our life to do things that God tells us not to do. We don't know God tells us not to do it because we don't know his word. You say, well, well, brother Paul, I have the Holy Spirit in me. He will tell me what to do. Well, did, did you know that Jesus... Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will only, is only, he's only a repeat voice. The Holy Spirit will only repeat to you what the word of God says. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will only say what I and the Father say. The Holy Spirit will only be able to work in your life to the level at which you understand and know the word of God. If you don't know the word of God, then you actually give the Holy Spirit nothing to work with when it comes to your life. Okay? For his ability to lead you and guide you and in decisions and the things that you do and and the way that you live. If you don't know God's word, then you've actually given the Holy Spirit nothing to work with you about. Because he will only repeat what you understand and know about the word of God. He will impress upon you scripture so that you understand and know how you're supposed to act in certain circumstances. How you're supposed to think the things you're supposed to do. 
Otherwise, it's too easy for us to give in to the thoughts and the things that happen to us. And that's what creates chaos and havoc in our life. And there's a whole band of, of, of demonic forces, of spiritual principalities that are constantly working over time. They never rest. They never sleep. And they're trying to figure out ways to deceive you, to manipulate you, to create darkness in you, to create a lack of hope. And they're working on it over and over and over again. And if you don't know the word of God, you put yourself in a position where you are extremely vulnerable to what uh, to, to their influence. And so God gives us his word here in, in, in Timothy. Paul says that God's word is profitable. It is good for you. It brings profit into your life for four things. Doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction. You know what doctrine is? Doctrine is what God has done for us. That's what doctrine is. Doctrine is what has God done for you? Jesus died on the cross for you. Jesus rose from the dead for you. Jesus made you. Jesus was, you know, he, he came as a virgin. He came, he came through the Virgin Mary. He came, uh, lived a sinless life. He, he made everything. He, what, what has God done for you? That's what doctrine is. God, doctrine tells us what God has done for us. Reproof. Reproof. What is reproof? It's what other people have done wrong. It's what other people have done wrong. Isn't the Bible full of a bunch of people who have done wrong? I think it's one of the greatest, it's, it's one of the greatest evidences to the, to the reality and truthfulness of the Bible. Because if you're going to create a religion, why would you create a religion with a bunch of founding fathers that are a bunch of bumbling idiots doing all kinds of crazy, stupid stuff all throughout the Old Testament? Right? And you think about Abraham and, and Jacob, who was a liar and deceiver and manipulator, and King David, who was a man after God's own heart and his, his killing and, and adultery and all this. Why would you put all of these incredible, significant people and Peter, who denied Jesus three times, and he was such a bumbling eater that Jesus called him the devil one time? I mean, you know, these people, all right, but, but we see all of these people, these stories of people that made mistakes for reproof to say, hey, this guy was an idiot. Don't fall. Follow his example. <laughs> it's the reason why I may tell stories about mistakes that I've made. Or you may hear testimonies of people in their life saying, hey man, I did this and I lived like this. And I did whatever I want. I did drugs. I'm out here, whatever. But God saved me, rescued me. That is reproof. It's saying, man, I did the wrong thing. But now I'm doing the right thing. Reproof is in the word of God where it says, this is it's what other people did wrong. What other people did wrong? Correction. What is correction? What we are doing wrong. What you are doing wrong. In the Bible, the word of God is good for that. And you should submit to that. When the word of God, because it says the word of God is like a double-edged sword and it's able to divide even the motives of your life. It cuts through the core to the core, to the heart of the issue. We're able to come to church and submit ourselves to good, good preaching. And in other churches as well where there's good preaching. You submit yourself to the word of God, the teaching of the word of God, and, and, and you read the word of God. And this, listen, and this right here brings about correction in your life. 
And the last one Paul says is, is instruction. And this is what we do for God, what God has called us to do. This is God, uh, uh, how we live a righteous life to please the Lord. How we live a righteous life to please the Lord by fulfilling our calling and, and our purposes and all these things that we do. And the word of, and, and this is important that we have this. Now, the word of God is a replacement. Okay? The word of God is an incredible replacement. All right? You cannot deal with negative thinking just by trying to avoid negative thinking. You can not avoid bad thoughts just by trying to avoid bad thoughts. And most of the time, you cannot avoid dwelling on bad thoughts just by trying too hard to avoid bad thoughts. There has to be replacements involved, all right? You have to have something to replace that thought with. In the very beginning, we see this as a, as a concept even in Scripture. Even in the very beginning, when God looked at Adam and Eve, and he, he said, hey, do not eat of this one tree, but you can eat of all of these other trees. I'm saying no to you on this, but I have a replacement for you, and it's all of these other things. There's another example in, uh, 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 of this where Paul in Corinthians, he's talking to the people and he says, hey, he says, as far as it is for me, he said, I think it's good for a man not to touch a woman. And what he's saying there is, hey, you know, you, you know he's actually referring to his own gifting and that gifting is to, to be single all of his life. So, and he goes on to say, so you could focus on the things of the Lord, so you could focus on doing God's word. Now, most of us in here, if not all of us, don't have that gift, which is the reason why we're married, okay? And But he says, if you can't, then get married. There's a replacement. He's saying, this is what I suggest, but if you don't have this gift, you don't have this ability, then go get married. That way you're not tempted into sexual sin because you can have all the sin you want inside that relationship. There's a replacement here that he gives us, all right? He says, you got to do it within the confines. But hey, once you're, you're there, this, God has made this, and it's incredible if you do it in the right way. So we see this, this idea, we see it even in Scripture, when Jesus was dealing with being tempted, when Jesus was tempted by the enemy, when Satan came to him to tempt him, we see the exact same thing that Jesus does as well. And he goes in here in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, and it says, And the tempter came to, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It was written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Okay? It wasn't just a, oh, don't, don't, don't think about bread, don't think about bread, don't think about bread. No, no, he, was, he replaced that temptation with the word of God. The word of God was a replacement thought. Man does not live by bread alone. But on every word, again, which by the way is another replacement, it's not about bread, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That that right there is what I need. I need the word of God more than I need food in this moment. Even in that moment after he had gone 40 days without food. He was saying, no, no, no. I need the word more than I need food. Because I recognize my spiritual need over my physical need. 
You cannot just get rid of negative thoughts. You have to replace it with something else. Generally, all of our problems, generally, all of your problems in your life become to you because of some wrong way of thinking about things in your life. And we all have them. We all have them. We all have this problem where we can think about things the wrong way. Every one of us, including myself, we all have the problem where we can think about things from a selfish standpoint, okay, from a prideful standpoint, from any of these kinds of ulterior motives. We all have this problem. And this problem is, is that generally we will oftentimes have the wrong kind of thoughts. And it doesn't matter how long we've been in church. It doesn't matter how old we are. We are still susceptible to the same problem. And that's that generally all of our problems in our life come to us because of some wrong way that we're thinking about something. What does the scripture say in, uh, in, the, in this Proverbs? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It's the things that, that are produced inside of your life are the direct result of thoughts, the things that you think. This is where the enemy begins to work. This is the reason why Paul mentions the belt of truth first, the girdle of truth, that it will hold all the other pieces together. The truth holds all the other pieces together. So what God does is he gives us this wonderful book of incredible stories to show us how we should think. To show us the way that we should think about things. I want to read Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, and then I'm going to close. Deuteronomy 1, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, it says, All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry, and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Sound familiar? Exactly what Jesus said. Exactly the word that Jesus spoke to the enemy when the enemy was speaking. What does this tell us? This It tells us that Jesus knew the word. And he was ready to be tempted because he knew the word. And you could say whatever you want. I mean, truth be known is that Jesus could have just given the devil a good right hook and he had to go away. We don't have that ability. It just don't work that way for me. I don't know about you. I, when I feel like I'm being tempted or the enemy's coming, you'll punch in the air. Just, I look like a crazy person. Jesus understood the word. And God was actually talking to the nation of Israel right here and trying to teach them something, trying to change the way that they thought about things. This was... 
these people were coming out of Egypt. These people were, were sitting in Egypt. These Israelites, they were in Egypt, captive by the enemy for a long period of time, I think 400 years, 500 years. Long, long time. They were, they were held captive and bound by the enemy. And Moses shows up, and God does these incredible things, and he frees them. He, he frees the whole nation of Israel. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think that in that moment where, where they walk out of Egypt, that all of a sudden, everything has changed in these people? They, they think differently. Everything in life is just... Or do you think that maybe, maybe 400 years of thinking is kind of probably still somewhere inside the back of their minds? You see, they had a lot of bad thinking. They had a lot of bad theology. They had a lot of bad stuff going on inside of their minds. Before Moses showed up on the scene to deliver them, just because they walked out of Egypt doesn't mean that all of Egypt was out of them. Just because they got saved, it doesn't mean that they automatically started thinking right. And just because you got saved, just because you got born again, doesn't mean that you automatically think right all the time. Because maybe, just maybe, somewhere in the recesses of your mind and the struggle that you had where Paul says, I do the things that I don't want to do and the things that I don't want to do, I do them. Maybe all of us have that same problem. And maybe all of us have those thoughts sitting deep inside of our mind that want to throw themselves out there when the enemy comes in to tempt us in certain areas. This is the reason why New Testament scripture says, Therefore, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Therefore, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, you have to renew your mind. You have to do it. You have to do it. You have to, and that's what brings transformation in your life. God's word the resource, the tool that he has given us, this belt of truth that he's given us. This right here brings transformation in our life. This brings transformation. Don't wait for a day when I'm, one day I'm gonna come to church and I'm just gonna encounter the Lord and it's gonna bring incredible transformation in my life. And sure, God can do it that day and God can do it that way. But we also know that transformation comes by the renewing of our mind, by understanding the word of God, by learning his word, by knowing his word. And the only way you can learn it and know it is to subject yourself to it by reading it, by listening to it, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. This is the reason why it's important to have time on a daily basis to read, to understand God's word. This is why it's important to be in church as often as you possibly can. This is why it's important that maybe, just maybe, someday, one day, you should turn off that 103.7 and turn on a little Bible talk or a little somebody speaking to you about the word of God. 
Because transformation doesn't come by worldly music. It comes by the word of God. And maybe, maybe you're too busy. Maybe you say, oh, you just don't know my schedule. Or maybe, you know, on your way to go do all the things that you do, maybe you should subject yourself to the word of God and find a way to begin to play it and listen to it on a regular basis. Make it a priority. It's possible, it's likely, that some of you are getting beat up in life just because you continue to not make his word a priority to you. So when trouble comes, your mind goes a thousand different directions. But you don't have the word of God to go to. Your mind doesn't have the ability to go to his word because you don't know it. And you haven't given the Holy Spirit anything to work with. You'll never, ever, ever be able to resist the devil if you don't have the girl of truth wrapped around your mind. This won't happen. This won't happen. Eventually, somewhere along the way, something will creep in. Some thought, some idea that sounds right, that feels right, that feels good is going to come in. And you're going to agree with it in your spirit. And it's going to be contradictory to the word of God. And it's going to bring havoc and chaos to your life. And then you're going to wonder where God was. And God says, I gave you my word. How come you didn't listen to what I told you? You stand to your feet today.